Welcome to Bible study. This is Len standing in for Nick, who's usually the host of this program. Uh, Nick is involved in some other things and he's unable to do this at the moment, although he may appear as a guest. For those of you who don't know, this program is a panel discussion of various issues from the Bible, and we are doing a series at the moment called Making Friends for God. And um, I hope that you enjoy what you hear, and if you have a Bible handy, why don't you turn up the texts as we announce those particular texts. So I'd like to introduce the panel today. First of all, welcome, Will. Nice to be with you folks again. And welcome, Lydia. That's great to be here. And our facilitator today is Helen. And welcome, Helen. Thank you so much, Len. It is a delight to be here and to share. We have one of our regular panel members who's not well today, and uh, we hope he recovers soon. That's Brenton. Helen, it's over to you. Thank you very much, Len. We have an interesting study prepared today, and it's called Winsome Witness, The Power of Personal Testimony. Tell me, panel, just before we get into it, what's the word winsome mean? It, sound, it kind of sounds a bit, oh, I don't know, um, weak or something. What's the word winsome mean? It's a portfolio word. A portfolio word is made up of two other words. And the first part of it is win, and the other part is some. In other words, it's something which will attract people. Yeah, fantastic answer. Thank you, Len. You majored in English, wasn't it? <laughs> that was very well put. Thank you. You know, there is an unusual power in personal testimony. When an individual accepts Christ in his or her life, is dramatically changed, and I have seen this in many, many cases. People notice. You notice when their faces seem to get softer, their speech changes to be a bit purer and but not all conversions are sudden and instantaneous as we read in the bible you know stories of drug addicts accepting christ alcoholics transformed by grace self-centered materialistic business leaders changed by god's love or rebellious teenagers converted are thrilling to listen to but are certainly not the only examples of conversion and we need to remember that at times and maybe even more commonly the Holy Spirit works gently and gradually on human hearts. There are those who've been brought up in godly Christian homes who have a precious story to share. They may have never really rebelled against Christ, but also were never fully committed to him. And they sense the moving of his Holy Spirit in their lives and they commit themselves totally to God. And it is amazing the difference in their life. It's just so powerful a personal testimony it's dramatic it's sensational um and they're conversion stories which we need to share not one of us is born a christian as jeremiah Kennedy states he said the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked who can know it the apostle paul adds in romans three twenty three, all have sinned and come short of the glory of god and because every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we all need the grace of God, and I think the panel will agree there. 
Conversion is not for a select few. It is for all of us. And because it is, we all have a story to tell. Your story is not my story. My story is not your story. But each of us, redeemed by God's grace and charmed by his love, have a personal testimony to share with the world. And before we go much further, let's stop for a moment and have prayer. Len, would you have prayer for us, please? Father in heaven, as we open your holy word, we pray that it may speak to us too. Because it does, it tells about the love of God and how that Jesus came to this earth and gave his precious life to save our miserable lives. Lord, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the opportunity of being able to discuss your words. And also, Lord, we're thankful that there are people willing to receive what is in your word. Pray today for ourselves as the panel. Pray for the listeners as they enjoy the words of life that come from your book, the Bible. So we invite you to to, uh, be present with us now as we present these wonderful and beautiful things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Len. You know, last week we looked at the question, why witness? And you may recall that. You know, for me, it was a Jewish doctor that brought my family to the light, if you like to say. He witnessed through a set of Bible story books with my brother. But no doubt each one of us has a story to tell on someone who witnessed to you and your family. So I'm going to ask the panel, just very briefly, share your experience about someone sharing with you and your family, not you sharing with them, them sharing with you. Panel, please. Well, I would like to share a story that was presented to me. It's about my brother-in-law. His name is Peter. He lives in the United States, but as a student, he was studying law in the University of Leiden in Holland. He was a real bookworm, and uh, he came from a wealthy family, and his father said, look, I will pay all your fees for you to study to become a lawyer, because his father was also a lawyer. Peter was one day browsing the shelves of a bookstore, second-hand books, used books, and he came across a book that looked rather interesting. It was called The Great Controversy. He thought, well, I'll buy this book. I'm interested in history and stuff like that. So he bought the book and he read it in one hit. He was that kind of person. He read it in one hit. And he realised that God was working in the lives of people in the past and God was working in his life. He decided to quit law at the university to the disappointment of his father. And his father said, I will not pay your tuition fees now. So Peter studied to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's never regretted it. And later on, he became professor of a university himself. So the power of what was written in that book, which basically explains the plan of salvation and the great controversy between Christ and Satan affected him so much that he became a faithful follower of Jesus. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Lynn, for sharing that. Awesome. Lydia, 
Do you have something that you would like to briefly share about an experience of someone sharing with you or your family? Personal testimony, it's very powerful. And if it's shared from your own experience, has a power for the person who uh, experienced and also for the person who hears. And um, I have quite few testimonies that I share with people. And uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that impressed impresses the, the person into the heart by sharing a testimony. So it's not me or you or somebody else, but it's the Holy Spirit. There is an unusual power in personal testimony. It's one that people can't really refute. Yes, Lynn? Well, you know, if you... Um talk with somebody else about points of theology, we sometimes have differences of opinion. And a person can argue against that. But when you have a personal testimony, they can't argue against it because there is nothing to compare it by. Mm. It is your story. And so they can't say, well, no, that didn't happen because they mm. can't. It's not their story. They don't know. So a personal testimony... Your story, it, it can't be countered. Well, Lydia, you have something to say. A personal testimony, it's very powerful into the person's heart that is happening because could be a powerful answer to a prayer or could be a, a dream in which the Lord shows you and gives you a sign or a guide or, or a dream. And it's extremely powerful. Mm, it's also difficult to argue against, as Lenny yes. was saying, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. I, I think you wanted to share something else on that as well. Yes, it is difficult to argue against personal experience, as Len said before, because people may debate your theology or uh, your interpretation of a text or even scoff at religion in general. But when an individual can say, I once was hopeless, but now I have hope, or I was filled with guilt, but now have peace, or I was purposeless, but now have purpose, even skeptics are impacted by the power of the gospel. Boy, doesn't that remind you of that famous hymn, Amazing Grace? I once was blind, but now I see. Absolutely beautiful. Will, yes. Helen, although, although some people may experience a sudden and dramatic conversion, like the Apostle Paul's on the Damascus Road, uh, more often I would uh, suggest conversion, con uh, conversion happens as, uh, as a process. We, we often think of witnessing, when we think of witnessing, we often think of people telling others about the Lord, perhaps reading key texts and the Bible to convince them of the truth. We may think of people sharing books and tracts and trusting in faith that people will be brought to a realization of their need of the Lord by reading this literature. But I'd like to suggest that thousands have been drawn to God by a quiet example of simple godly people, those aspiring to live the exemplary life of their Savior. You know, other people notice people's hearts are warmed and encouraged. And in their hearts is born a desire to be more like Jesus themselves. You know, a miraculous change takes place. It happens gradually. And often that even happens without that first person having set the example, knowing anything about it. 
May I just uh, share with you a little, a little reading which I, um, which I discovered some while ago. It's a book on education and talking about teachers and parents. It, it says how little of the result of this world's noblest work is in this life revealed to the doer. How many toil unselfishly and unweariedly for those who pass beyond their reach and knowledge. And then this specific part that says, parents and teachers lie down in their last sleep, their life work seeming to have been done or carried out with minimal effect. They know not that their faithfulness has unsealed springs of blessing that will never cease to flow. Only by faith do they see the children they have trained become a blessing and an inspiration to their fellow men, and the influence repeat itself a thousandfold. These people sow seeds from which, I might say, above their graves, others reap blessed harvests. They, as it were, plant trees that others eat the fruit. They are content here to know that they have set in motion agencies for good, but it's only in the hereafter that the action and reaction of these examples will be seen. That's why I say that uh, witnessing is sometimes done, or mostly done, by the quiet exemplary life of living for the Lord. Other people see and want that change themselves. Thank you, Will. I've always said that people won't care what you care about unless you, they see that you care about them, and then they will care about what you care about. And um, I agree with you. It's a friendship. It's a genuine love for people. Len, I was reading about Peter and John before the council, and they were told to stop talking about Jesus, I believe, in Acts 4.20. Would you share that with us, please? Well, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story first, and you've already introduced that story. Peter and John had gone to the temple where they used to speak to people. And one day there was this cripple being carried in by people and uh, he was begging, of course, and they said to him, look, look at us, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we're happy to share with you. And this was done publicly. There were onlookers looking at this. And uh, this cripple had been crippled from birth. He had never, ever walked. So they said, look at us. Silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we'll give you. And they told him to stand and walk. And he who had never stood ever in his life and had never walked, stood. Well, you can imagine that the crowd, they were just amazed at this. And they were talking about the power of that was with these two men. Well, the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they weren't too happy about this because they expected to be uh, regarded as leaders, religious leaders. Anyhow, they arrested Peter and John and they put them in prison overnight and the next day there was to be a trial. And um, so Peter and John were brought in and it says, in verse 8 of Acts 4, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, 
then know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. All right, well, that hit them right between the eyes. And they were a bit puzzled. How could these two uneducated once fishermen could speak with such power and such clarity? Anyhow, Peter and John gave their reply because these Sadducees and Pharisees and Sanhedrin wanted to silence them and tell them, look, you're not allowed to speak publicly anymore. Peter said this, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I believe this applies very much to us as Christians. We have some wonderful information, some wonderful news. It's about how to have eternal life. And uh, I guess we should have the same attitude as Peter and John. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, the Jewish Sanhedrin, they couldn't counter that. The people had witnessed the healing of this cripple. The people had heard Peter and John give their testimony. And Peter and John said, well, we can't, we can't keep our mouths shut over this. This is too good. Thanks, Len. Peter and John's zeal for the Lord was just, um, even when threatened, they couldn't keep quiet. Um, that's a good example for us, as you said. Okay, um, Jesus sent out the first missionary. Was it Peter or possibly James and John? Maybe Thomas or Philip or one of the other disciples? Well, the answer may surprise us. It was none of the names listed. Who is the unlikeliest witness that was the first missionary that was sent out? If you can summarize for us, Mark five fifteen to 20. So Jesus met a demoniac and uh, he lived in the region of uh, Gerasenes and he lived in tombs and uh, no one could bind him, not even with a chain because uh, he often been chained uh, by hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. So uh, he, no one was strong in, enough to subdue him. So he lived uh, day and night in tombs and uh, in the hills, uh, and he would cry out and cut himself with stones, and he terrified all the people in that region. And uh, when Jesus came from across the lake into this region, this demoniac saw Jesus from a distance and he uh, ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice and he said, what do you want uh, with me, Jesus? And uh, Jesus uh, realized that uh, he was tortured by demons and um, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And uh, he was talking and he was saying, my name is Legion. So Legion, it means uh, largest uh, single unit in Roman army, which uh, at the full strength is consisted for, of about 6,000 soldiers. So in the Bible, this term Legion represents a vast or huge number. And uh, it means he was possessed by demons. And uh, Jesus felt pity of him. And uh, it says in verse 10 that he begged Jesus again and again 
not to send them out of the area. And Jesus sent these demons into a large herd of pigs, about 2,000 in number, which they rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And um, people from around the country, they heard about it and they came to look and see whatever uh, they never heard. And uh, when these people came, uh, they saw this demoniac who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, probably before he was undressed, and in his right mind. I'm thinking about that because he was running naked as he was possessed. The um, From these apostles, they just took uh, one of clo- their clothing and dressed him. And uh, those people who had seen him before out of his mind, and now he was very right. He was in. He was very calm. He was sitting in front of Jesus. He now was sitting attentively at, at Jesus' feet, listening to his words. It means that he was effectively he was restored. He was restored uh, mentally and uh, emotionally and uh, physically. And he was sitting at Jesus' feet. He begged him to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him go with him. But he said to him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the, in, in the whole region how much Jesus had done for him. So this person, this demoniac who before was a demoniac, but now he was restored. He went and told everybody what happened to him. So this this had a power because people in that region saw him, knew him. And uh, now when they saw this miracle happen to, to this person restored, you know, from top to toe, nobody could, cha- could change his testimony. So it was it was amazing. Well, one would ask the question, how much information did he have regarding theology and the Bible and all that, you'd have to say he basically knew nothing. Mm. But he had a story to tell, and that story was a very impressive story. And as Lydia was telling the story about this man, the last bit says, and when the people in that area known as the Decapolis heard it, they were amazed. Nobody could doubt his story because it was well known. He was um, a maniac and uh, had caused a lot of anxiety in the whole region. And so here he was in his right mind telling what Jesus did for him. It's an undeniable story, and that's why personal testimony is so important. Thank you, Leon. I think it was important that Jesus didn't say, no, come follow me. He said, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. You know, here was this man, whole physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. There's a lesson there ready for us. You know, that's what God does. The essence of the gospel is to restore people broken by sin to the wholeness for which Christ had created them. And God often uses unlikely witnesses who are changed by his grace to make a difference in our world. Will? I believe that, um, that that testimony 
was a powerful testimony because here again we see it's a first-hand experience testimony, which, um, as Lena said, sometimes uh, counts for more than preaching and uh, and um, the traditional methods. Uh, he was a local and uh, he understood the people there. I think he was a perfect cultural fit. Um, culturally, he was from the place. I think even the accent uh, was right for that population. Mm-hmm. And he certainly knew the geography and the region as well. He would have been a very effective witness. And uh, Jesus chose him. He knew the power of uh, of personal witness. Mm, thank you, Will. You, I think you've got something too for us to share with us. From Mark 16, 1 to 11, there were some other witnesses there. Very unlikely witnesses, you know, that if we had to objectively choose people to start telling the good news, how often we, um, we would want to choose uh, the, um, well, the elite uh, and the, um, shall I say, the trained. But here again in Mark 16, verses 1 to 11, the gospel story tells us that it was early on the uh, Sunday morning, this is the resurrection day, of Jesus. It was early on the Sunday morning and two Marys hastily made their way to the tomb of Christ. When they arrived at the, at the tomb, they were startled to find it empty. And uh, the book of Matthew records the events of that, that resurrection morning in these words. The, um, the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified He is not here, for he is risen. And what a response or reaction that triggered. These two women become missionaries, the good news of the resurrection. Matthew 28 verse 8 says, They went out immediately or quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring the disciples the word. Yeah, these two unlikely missionaries, just like the demoniac, go out telling the good news. It's wonderful. Thanks, Will. I I was very interested in that phrase, these unlikely missionaries. You know, sometimes we think it requires a whole speech or a whole study to have an effect on people, but it might not be. It might be just a few little words. I remember years ago, my brother-in-law, who wasn't well known for his education or anything, but he said something to me which I didn't take very well at the time. He said, your younger brother is going to be married before you. And I was five years older. But, you know, (laughs) from just that one simple statement which I resented at the time, It was quite true. And this exemplifies what can happen. It might be just a few words by an unlikely person that brings about a big change in a person's life because of that witness, just as Will was talking about these women who bore that news back to the disciples. He's not there. He's risen. I think that uh, taking another example... You know, the widow that came to give her might in the temple. Yes. Her few, her, her, the little bit that all she, she could afford. She probably went to her grave not realizing 
that um, that what she had done was noticed. And uh, these two mites or a penny or whatever it was has sparked a generosity over the years and centuries that have brought millions upon millions of dollars to the institutions and to the great um, work of God throughout the earth. I think if you had to tap her on the shoulder in the year after and say, do you know that your example, uh, your deed was a witness, you became a missionary that brought a mighty impetus to the work of God. I think we we underestimate sometimes the power of example um, of all these, as it were, unlikely missionaries that do work for God. Thanks, Will. I don't think it was only a witness on the financial side. She gave a witness that she gave her all. And yes. I believe that uh, that refers to us giving our all to Christ in all areas of our life. Len? Uh, what Will was saying has sparked something in my mind. You may remember Mary who gate-crashed the dinner party given for Jesus and she wept and she broke this alabaster box of, of oil, this precious ointment or oil, and she she anointed Jesus with it and her, her feet and all the onlookers at the party were pretty disgusted. But Jesus said something which reminds me of what um, the widow who gave her large two little coins to pay or to make an offering in the temple. Jesus said, what this woman, this Mary, has done will be remembered through the ages. And so it is. And Mary is remembered not for her past bad life, but because of her gratitude for what the Lord had done for her. And it's been a witness for thousands of years, 2,000 years already. Thank you, Len. Um, Lydia. After Mary met the resurrected Christ, what did she do? After she went to the tomb and couldn't find Jesus, and after, in, in a way, after she met the, the, the angel, and the angel said to her, he has risen, he's not here. Um, see the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. So she went, she ran, to tell the, the, the good news and after she met Jesus in a way and uh, again when uh, Jesus told her to go and, and, and tell she ran as much as she could and but she was not believed because when she told the others they did not believe and it was I don't know why it was hard for them to, to believe because maybe they were not prepared to do this but Jesus rebuked them Mm. She couldn't keep silent, could she? Yes. and couldn't keep uh, silent. When when later Jesus appeared to the eleven uh, as they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Yeah, I was interested in, in reading about Mary that A, she couldn't keep silence, B, she ran, and C, she yelled out the good news. And, um, you know, after we have been or we've met the resurrected Christ along the highway of life, we too must run to tell the story for good news is worth sharing, isn't it? 
Yeah, good news is for sharing. Okay, um, and we've discovered that the disciples didn't believe her. Lynn, did they believe there was a story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and when they discovered who Christ was, they too ran to share. But did the, 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 um, they believe those two disciples when they got back to the others? Well, it was about eight kilometres from where they lived, back to Jerusalem where the disciples were and it was already late and so they came in and uh, I'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 24 and verse 33 on it says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem there they found the 11 disciples because Judas at this stage was dead and those with them assembled together and saying it's true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now the uh, two on the uh, road to Emmaus was Cleopas and the other one whose name we don't know. They came to give the news, but before they could blurt the news out, the disciples there said, well, it's true, the Lord has appeared to Simon. Now here's the interesting thing. Verse 35, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. And in this case, they confirmed what was already known. And, you know, that's sometimes very good for people. You might hear something and you might question it a bit, but when somebody else comes along and confirms that, it cements that idea in your mind. That's so true, Len. Yeah, thank you. It's it's amazing that they, they didn't believe. I'm reminded of um, when Peter was in prison and the angel helped him to escape and he went to the door and he knocked on the door and Rhoda, the servant girl, opened the door and um, she actually closed it when she, even when she saw who it was and when running back to the disciples who were on their knees praying for Peter and um, when she told them it was Peter at the door, they didn't believe then either. It seems to be very hard sometimes to believe. But, you know, if even Jesus' own dis disciples didn't immediately believe, we shouldn't be surprised if others don't believe immediately or accept our words either. And, panel, I'd like to ask you to briefly share, when was the last time you were rebuffed in your witness? How did you respond and what have you learned from that experience? Just a short few words, please, panel, someone. Will. Well, I, I can think of many times that uh, people have turned from legitimate counsel uh, the, from the Word of God, uh, much to our surprise, but perhaps the best example that we could quote is Jesus. Jesus' own experience with rejection. In Luke chapter 13, uh, it says that he, he cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. What a disappointment. What a rejection. Uh, Jesus must have felt this very deeply. I'd like to refer to uh, a situation that I was involved in once. Um, I have to say this, that witnessing is a bit like um, selling. A salesperson 
if they take rejection personally, it's going to get to them and they'll give up. You have to be a little bit um, thick-skinned in some cases because people will not all always accept what you think they should accept. There was a Roman philosopher, Tacitus, who said it's not what happens to you that counts, it's how you react to it. Now, I was having Bible studies with this lady and this was the first one and there was something really troubling her. I, I don't know what it was, but she felt that God could not forgive her. And I shared with her the text from the Bible that says that if she confesses her sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive her sins. But she couldn't accept it. And really, that's where those Bible studies stopped. She had such a deep-seated problem, she couldn't accept what I was sharing with her. I felt very sorry for her because she just couldn't accept it. However, if I took that personally, that was a failure on my part. Well, it wasn't because I shared with her what I knew to be right and because she rejected it, that was her problem. So there's something quite important here. Quite often we think that when a person rejects what we share with them, that's our fault. Well, it's not. We are asked to share, but we are not asked to take the responsibility. Thank you, Len. Lydia? I would like to share a little bit of one of my experiences that I had um, not long ago when I was rebuffed in my witness. I had a dream, and uh, in the dream it was a very significant dream when God told me to pray for the Holy Spirit. And... Um, I was very traumatized in this dream because for a week uh, it was that I was not like myself. Um, I was shaking. I was, uh, I was transformed, let's say, because the dream was overwhelming through a, a very strong light. And um, uh, I didn't tell anybody. I just told my family and that's it. Uh, I, could, I, could, I just could, could not tell anybody uh, being afraid of this skepticism and uh, people won't believe and people were, maybe they were um, treating me um, bad or, you know, uh, saying bad words about me. So I kept silent for a few months and I have this rebuked in the feelings of being rebuked into my heart for quite a few times. And um, also... Uh, I felt that the Holy Spirit told me in this rebuking or saying, if you're not ready to share this with others around you, I cannot use you and you cannot work with me. And again, I was silent. And this happened twice or three times with me. And after that, I opened my mouth and uh, I told others about it. Pray for the Holy Spirit. So it's very important to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and comply with, comply with the Lord and communicate with Lord and uh, just share with others. It's mm. very important because God wants to use us as his messengers and uh, to, we have to be humble missionaries for him. 
Bless you. Thank you, Lydia. Absolutely. Um, Will, I'd like to jump to a story in Scripture, and it's about Paul in front of a man called Agrippa. Could you just um, summarise for us Acts 26, 1 to 32? He was another witnessing. Yes, Paul appears before King Agrippa. Uh, King Agrippa is a cynical and sceptical, hardened king, um, actually really indifferent to any genuine uh, value system, we believe. Paul's testimony before this king, he seeks to change this king's life from his uh, wicked way. But Paul's testimony of how Jesus changed his life, that's Paul's life, has a powerful impact on uh, this godless king. He stands there and the king says, uh, almost, almost you persuade me. And um, I think when reading this story, um, I'm just summarizing here, there is uh, positively no witness as effective as a changed life. This king nearly gives his heart to God. Paul tells him that his life is dramatically changed and uh, this has a great influence on others. And I, I think I've learned from this experience in, in Acts that uh, even godless kings are moved by lives transformed by grace and personal testimony. Mm, thank you, Will. And um, panel, the rest of you, what can we learn from Paul's words, as Will's just shared with his? Len or Lydia? At one stage they accused Paul of being insane, knowing that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, persecuting the Christians and then becoming a Christian and then sharing that with others to the extent where here he was imprisoned because of his witness. Paul's words were very powerful words because it came from a very powerful experience. And as Will said, it actually affected the king, but the problem was the king put it off. And I think there's a danger there in when you're convicted of something by putting it off. You, uh, in other, you make a decision not to do anything, or really you've made a decision not to change anything, although he was convicted. So Paul spoke from the heart, from his own experience. And the king would have known that. And Paul appealed to him to change, to become a Christian too, but he wouldn't. We witness no matter what we try to do. We witness by the words we speak. We witness by the way we look. Um, I was in business for quite some years and I uh, was in the business of selling and restoring and repairing and servicing cars. And uh, I had a call from somebody in Queensland. It's the phone call. And we were discussing doing a deal. He had a motorcycle he wanted to trade in for a vehicle that I had for sale. And I said to him while we were talking, how do you know, having never seen this vehicle, that it's what I say it is? And I was really surprised at his answer. He said, I can hear that you're an honest man. 
in your voice. Well, good job I was because we did the deal, but I could have taken him for, um, I could have got his money and not uh, supplied him with the vehicle. But I believe we witness no matter what we try to do, either for good or for bad, simply by our demeanour, our looks, our speech, and those sort of things. Thank you so much. Bill? We've talked a little about uh, the unlikely witness or missionary, and we think always of adults. But I tell you what, God can use even young people and children. Um, If I may, you know, when I was about 10 years old, a young man, only about 11 years old, uh, used to come over to our house as a friend of my older brother. At mealtime, we were not Christians, by the way, and at mealtime, we used to see him sneakingly and quickly trying to say grace to himself before proceeding to eat the meal. None of us being Christians, but uh, soon my parents, though, awkwardly at first, uh, used to invite him to say grace for us all. Of course, uh, this was never offered when he was not there. But God was talking to us. One day, my brother, probably confronted by his friend's Christ-like demeanor, absolutely lost it. And I can recall standing at the bus stop there, my brother spat in his face. And, uh, boy, it happened so fast that uh, I would have reacted uh, with anger. With spit running down his cheek, Um, Forgive me for saying it, but I can recall that I thought of urging him to just clobber my brother for such a rude act. You remember we we were rough kids. Instead, he made a remark that had a staggering effect uh, on, on me and on my life. Something like, Leon, Jesus wouldn't like you to spit in your best friend's face or something like that. Remember, we're talking here about an 11-year-old. It was the calm, controlled response that sent my mind reeling. God started processing my thoughts from that moment. A week later, I asked if I could attend his church. A great fellowship and friendship grew. In the end, both of us entered ministry, and he remained a stalwart example to me until this day. You know, it, it made me realize you, you don't have to throw the book at people not even the Bible, so to speak. His life was a testimony. His kindness and graciousness, uh, his kindly manner just came first. But overall, he showed me Jesus first of all. And, of course, the Bible came later. Oh, Will, thank you so much for that amazing story. That is just, um, yeah, very uplifting. And it can be um, a young person. It can be an even older person. I, I've got a friend, she's 85, and she's such an inspiration to me. Len, you wanted to say something. Uh, Will keeps sparking these ideas. <laughs> he I, does. I recall my uh, niece who lives in Holland Her marriage broke up and she was quite some years, I think about 12 years alone. Anyhow, I don't know how it was, whether it was through a dating agency or just what, 
Well, I think it was a dating agency. She uh, agreed to go out with a a man. They were mature people, not aged, but mature. And his previous marriage had broken up. This um, uh, invitation was to go out and have dinner at a restaurant, which is a fairly normal thing to do. And there, when the meal was actually served, the plates were put on the table, this young man, or this man, bowed his head in grace and gave thanks for the food. A silent grace. He didn't say it so the whole restaurant could hear. And my niece was very, very impressed. That very thing really struck her. Here is somebody who has God in his life. Well, they're married now, and I've met him. He's a, he's a lovely man, but um, just little things like that can have big impressions. Amen, absolutely. Lydia, you wanted to share something. I was talking to one of my son uh, the other night, uh, Alan, and he was telling me that uh, he went to for a meal with one of his uh, uh, school colleague, a girl, and uh, of course she she knows about God, but very superficial. And uh, at the meal, Alan also said, like Len said, um, ask her permission if uh, if she wouldn't mind if, if he will pray, uh, even silently for the meal. And she said, no, no, it's fine, you can pray loud, out loud. She prayed, and actually she was very impressed about it. Uh, and uh, Alan is still talking to her about God, you know, sending mess text messages and uh, talking over the phone uh, about God, about Jesus, about many other things. She knows something about Christianity, but not much. And she is very impressed. And Alan is witnessing. Fantastic. Her. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's a good thing. Thank you so much. It really is about a, t uh, it's a testimony of our personal encounter with the God of amazing grace, isn't it? Well, we've only got a couple more minutes to wrap up and just would like you to, to say in one sentence, this is really going to challenge you, panel, one sentence. Share what a difference Jesus makes in your life. One sentence. Lydia, go ahead. If God's love, Jesus' love, fills my heart to the full and it overflows, I would love to share this love with others around me. Oh, amen. Len? I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I find, uh, I feel, uh, I feel joyful in knowing the Lord and in knowing that I have a future, in knowing that I'm cared for. Um, I, I think that's just wonderful. I can take um, my issues to the Lord, knowing that he hears me and he cares. I'm not alone in this world. There is a God there who loves me. Thank you, Len. Will? Well, in a sentence, I um, just would not be the same without uh, the Lord Jesus in my life. Yeah, amen. And um, I'd like to also just say that I've been on both sides of the fence. I now live a life more abundantly because of 
my best friend Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, witnessing is not about us, though, is it? It's all about Jesus. It's about his love, his grace, his mercy, his pardon, and his eternal power to save us. Good news is for sharing. However, let me finish by saying we cannot share a Christ that we do not know. Mm. So we need to spend time with him on a daily basis to get to know him. And the more that you get to know him, the more that you will love him. Will, will you conclude with us, please, with prayer? Thank you. A loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of uh, Jesus who came to this earth to live and die for us all. Thank you, Lord, for your, the gift of your Holy Spirit, the love of God, and uh, the promise of life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray, Father, that everyone on the panel and every listener will uh, consider carefully their relationship with their God and that they would um, steer, allow him to steer their lives to uh, eternal glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I just want to say thank you, panel, um, for assisting this morning and uh, certainly couldn't do this study without each one of you. Bless you all. Lynn. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us today. And you yourself may have opportunity to better the lives of somebody else. Take that opportunity, why don't you? And join us again next week. I can do all things. Through Christ who gives me strength But sometimes I wonder what he can do through me No great success to show No glory on my own But in my weakness he is there to let me know that his strength is perfect when our strength is gone he'll carry us when we can't carry on raised in his power the weak Become strong His strength is perfect His strength is perfect We can only know The power that He holds When we truly see how deep our weakness goes His strength in us begins Where ours comes to an end And He hears our humble cry And He proves again That His strength is perfect When our Strength is gone 
He'll carry us when we can carry on, raised in His power, the weak become strong, His strength is perfect, His strength is perfect, His strength is perfect His strength is perfect